We all know that developing a great game is one thing, but developing a great game business can be something else entirely. That's why some of the top game developers in the industry use Iron Source's game growth platform to turn their amazing games into amazing game businesses. Now, when it comes to content, these guys don't mess around. You may have heard of the Level Up podcast and Medium blog, which feature game industry experts talking all things game design, development, and growth. Head to ironsource.com to learn more. That's www.ironsrc.com. Thanks. This podcast episode is also brought to you by AppsFlyer. Most of you are familiar with AppsFlyer. It's perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile, a true foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive marketing success. But what is attribution platform? Why do we need it? And why is AppsFlyer the best in the business? Brian Murphy, head of games at AppsFlyer. Can you answer these questions? Sure. Uh, right now, marketing budgets are being impacted. Uh, so the need for strong attribution and measurement partners is critical. Marketers should be focusing on what's working best. So mobile measurement and attribution partners who help provide uh, those insights are even more important. Mobile attribution platforms determine which campaigns, partners, and channels delivered each app install. And marketers rely on these insights to measure and optimize their marketing performance for both user acquisition and retargeting campaign. With 1 trillion in-app events measured each month, AppsFlyer is the most robust technology platform and mobile measurement partner for any game developer to distribute and engage their application to a worldwide consumer base. Our scale and data insights provide customers with unique ability to make informed marketing decisions. In short, AppsFlyer gives you the data and tools to market your games effectively. So there you have it, folks. Go to appsflyer.com and get yourself one of the best attribution platforms out there. Welcome, everybody. We're here today to talk about the current state of M&A, otherwise known as mergers and acquisitions in the games industry. There's been a lot of recent activity, and there seems to be an open question now about whether this current trend can continue, as Zynga seems to indicate, or whether we're likely to see a major slowdown. So during the conversation today, we're going to be talking about five things. One, what has driven the state of M&A activity in the games industry? Two, why has Zynga historically sort of sucked at M&A, but more recently, they've actually been doing an amazing job? Three, who are the buyers in the market? Four, who are the acquisition targets, including speculation about Warner Brothers? And finally, predictions on M&A in terms of short-term and longer-term trends. And with us today to speak about all of these issues and more are, first, Saad Chowdhury, Chief Commercial Officer at Mayclip. Second, Jeff Cohen, research analyst at Stevens, and third, Michael Metzger, partner at investment banking firm, Drake Star Partners. Welcome, guys. And maybe what we could do is just very quickly get a brief context into your backgrounds and what you guys do, and then we can dive right in. Maybe starting with you, Saad? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I'm, I'm Saad. I, I work at Miniclip. I've been with Miniclip now for nine years. Um, started my career as a, as a lawyer at Sega, uh, moved over to Miniclip and uh, started working on um, multiple things within the kind of companies, moving from web to mobile. And about three or four years ago, post our acquisition um, from Tencent, so Miniclip was sold to Tencent, um, we started doing um, a mini Tencent or Minicent is like what I like to call us and start to try and acquire companies. So we've tried to do that for the last three or four years and that's kind of my primary focus at the minute. And I'll keep it at that. Uh, Great. We can discuss things going forward. Yeah. Yeah. First, JK, I mean, obviously, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Um, I'm an equity research analyst at Stevens Inc. We're an uh, independent investment bank here in the States. I cover the consumer internet space here, but primarily focus on gaming, mobile gaming, esports. Hi, I'm Michael Metzger. I'm a partner at Drake Star Partners. Um, we're a global media and technology investment bank with about uh, 100 professionals across the US, Europe, and Asia. And we advise companies on M&A, both buy side and sell side, and um, also advise companies on later stage growth stage financing investment super active in, in the gaming and the digital media space. Great. So maybe we could go ahead and just dive right in, starting with the first question, which is really around the recent activity in 
M&A in the games industry. So we've got you know the Zynga acquisition of Peak. We had Stillfront acquisition of Stormate, Fox Next, MZ by Applovin. We had a bunch of smaller ones like Plexonic by Playrix. And the big news now is all around speculation about Warner Brothers being sold potentially to Microsoft or whoever. But could you guys talk to me about you know what what has driven all the recent activity in, in M&A? Why is this happening all of a sudden? Um, well, I mean, if you, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know what you guys think, but it, to be honest, these these deals take time. So it, it could be a combination of things are just now getting announced. But there's been a lot of activity in the market for quite some time. Um, well, the, and I think that the obvious reason is, you know, um, many of the publicly traded companies are doing very well at the moment. They're trading at very high multiples. And if you can acquire companies at you know a deal which is it's, which is lower than that, then it, it just is all accreted to you. Um, equally, we're reaching a, a, a kind of a maturation state um, within the mobile industry where we are starting to see some leaders. We are starting to see these, as Zynga likes to call it, forever franchises, which don't seem like they're going away anytime soon. And what you want to try and do is you want to try and, and 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 pick up as many assets as possible. Um, so that you don't get quote unquote left behind, right? There was a consolidation in the console space many years ago. Um, that still might happen again with all the kind of streaming tech that's happening on that side of the business. Equally, that's that's happening in in the mobile side. I mean, we how many times do we see reports around the top 100 grossing being the same games, and it's very hard to penetrate. You might get one or two new titles in there. So if you are trying to grow your business organically and inorganically then i think the the simplest way of of, of growing at a, at a you know with a real step change is, is to acquire a business um or acquire a different company so that's why i think it's all been fueled because we kind of know how to value these things and we kind of know who's going to stick around for the next three four five ten years even some of these titles so i think that's why people are more confident in trying to um make these acquisitions i think another bit as well that people don't often realize is many of these businesses which were venture backed there's a you know some of those funds have to mature and some of those investors want to have a, a liquidity event or an exit event and um that is also fueling um you know founders or, or, or management teams to try and look for other strategic partners uh, outside of the you know kind of traditional space and then obviously we know that there's certain companies who are have got their own IPO aspirations as well, and and as you do that, you want to build up your 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 business so that you can, uh, you know, present yourself to the market in a much more solid footing. So I think that's that's what we're seeing, and it's, it's a combination of all those things which are just driving all this. Activity. I think it's an exciting time for sure. I'm not sure what you guys think. All right, so Saad, if I could kind of summarize uh, kind of the key things that you're talking about. One is you're, you're seeing like this sort of valuation arbitrage between public and private gaming companies. Two, trying to, these companies trying to get to scale and so trying to consolidate. Uh, three, the, you're, you're saying that there's probably less risk associated with some of these games as we're seeing that these games have longer, uh, life, lifetimes, for example. Um, in, in terms of Jeff and Michael, do you guys agree with some of those key drivers or? Yeah, I definitely agree. And just the need for scale. I mean, some companies believe there's going to be, you know, maybe a handful or two handful of companies that really going to dominate the mobile space in several years out. And it's, to some extent, either be or, or get eaten. So that's one driver getting, you know, getting as large as possible to scale while taking advantage of kind of the valuation arbitrage, as you mentioned. That's a key thing. Another thing that was interesting over the last year or two, as Assad mentioned, uh, the PC console kind of consolidation several years ago, that really has started again, like two years ago, two and a half years ago, there were very little PC console deals, but that really has started with both the platform guys, the Microsoft Sony being uh, much more acquisitive, um, and, and companies like Embracer, who really were tiny three years ago, executing a very successful uh, M&A strategy and growing significantly and continue to do that. So it's consolidation, not only on the mobile side, but also on the PC console side. Right. 
Yeah. And I agree, I agree with, with all those points. I do think we also have to separate, like you guys have been, console from, from mobile. You know, on the console side, I think there hasn't been a lot in recent years. So there's just not that much out there to buy. I mean, it's very clear that these are businesses that have economies of scale. Um, and every management, every public management team you talk to will say, you know, they're looking at acquisitions. Um, but frankly, a lot of the consolidation has already happened. And maybe, you know, the next wave will be like an EA buying Take-Two or, you know, a cloud company like a Google or Microsoft buying Activision or even Disney buying Activision. But it's not clear that there's so many, you know, at scale assets out there on the console side that are easy to scoop up. You know, we're going to talk about a couple of them today, like Bethesda, Warner Brothers, um, maybe a smaller studio like Bungie or Gearbox, but there's not that much out there. On the mobile side, I think the reason we haven't seen that many acquisitions until fairly recently is that industry has really been in hyper growth for a while. And you typically don't see consolidation markets where there's that much white space and, and kind of room for small companies to grow. Um, and like you guys said, what's happened the last few years is barriers to scale, mainly cost per install, are rising so dramatically that these smaller studios aren't able to keep up. Um, and, and that's leading to the consolidation, kind of the big getting bigger. Right. And actually, Saad, I forgot to mention the last point you made, which was around investors that invest in some of these game companies that are wanting to see exits. How much pressure do these companies have to sell if, you know, even if they don't want to or not? Um, you know, not to be disparaging to that part of the industry, they're actually usually very good, actually. Like the game focus and the people in this space they usually don't put a lot of pressure on founders. Um, but there is obviously going to be some pressure, and actually, um, you know, to if if you think about um, the value that somebody adds by being a shareholder or involved in your business, there comes a point where that investor cannot add much more value. You know, they're taking that company so far, and actually, a lot of the times now, the founders are saying, "We we would welcome being part of a bigger organization. We would welcome having some sort of." economies of scale, with, with whether that be on the marketing side, whether that be on, on, on technology or, or whatever it, it is that drives you. Um, and, and, and that's one of the key reasons why we, we, we joined the Tencent family, because we just felt like we needed to have a strategic partner to take us onto that next level. And I think that's where we're seeing. We, we, I almost treat it like a peloton to use a cycling thing. I'm not a big cyclist, but uh, I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, but I see it as a peloton and there's a leading pack. And there's a, there's a big cluster of, of, of companies who I think, you know, which Minicap is part, um, companies like Scopely, Jam City and the others, uh, we're all there. And if you don't keep up with that peloton, you're going to get left behind and you need to kind of keep up with a chasing pack. And, uh, you know, to do that, I think one of the most secure ways of doing it is through inorganic growth, which is to acquire companies. Um, and, and that's what I think we're seeing because, yes, we have been in a hyper growth phase. I think that's an absolutely correct point. But now as we start to see smartphone penetration, you know, stabilize and most people are on their second or third device, you know, that kind of natural market growth isn't there in the tier, what we would call the tier one countries, right? In the emerging markets, it still can be there and you can still do very well there. But ultimately, if you really want to generate more revenue and consistently generate more revenue then 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 you have to go and acquire right um so i know i've gone on a tangent from your question but ultimately i don't think there's a lot of pressure but i think there's pressure for investors to add value or for shareholders to add value uh, to founders and i think that's better done now with um companies which are operating at scale um, hence what you know what's driving these these deals as well from a founder okay. and then just looking at a specific company so zynga it historically it seemed like Zynga was not very successful at M&A, but more recently they're kind of being held up as you know the the company that's doing the best at M&A, and certainly there's been a string of acquisitions more recently that have been viewed as really great successes. And so I was wondering if you guys could talk about what do you think it is? What 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 is the difference between their activities before to now? If you can speculate in terms of what the difference is between how do you execute M&A successfully versus not successfully as they previously were not able to do? I mean, from my perspective, the strategy changed quite a bit from the 
early days to now, I mean, the focus has been on how they call it as forever franchises, which really are much later stage companies with being able to achieve a uh, hundred million or more in revenue with a single title. So the risk associated with that naturally is much lower compared to what they've done before. Second thing is, is maybe, you know, the management change. I think combination of, of Frank, Bernard Kim and, and, and Chris Petrovic has done a great job and probably much better than the previous management team. And that's also attract the right talent and make sure they're staying happy and are happy once they're part of, of Zynga. That's, you know, the key piece. Um, to watch out to ask an acquisition. How do we integrate them and how do you treat them? Um, but having said that, they have not been always bad. I mean, they, um, y- y- you know, um, worked with friends with one of the acquisition that's still doing very well. Uh, natural motion probably was a, a, a more or less of a, a desperation. They were, didn't have any traction in mobile and CSR gaming seemed to be doing well and they, you know, bought into the story that there's much more games outside CSR, which really didn't turn out that way. But that was kind of more a desperate move, I think, at the time. Yeah, I think I would echo a lot of what Michael just said. I mean, the gaming business is, is a pretty small world, and it's it's really a people business. Historically, I, I don't get the sense that people wanted to get bought by Zynga. Um, you know, like you mentioned, they had a pretty mixed track record and weren't really considered kind of the best place in the games industry to work. That's definitely changed. And it's a testament to the leadership uh, that Michael called out. Um, they do have a good playbook now. And it seems like people actually actively want to get bought by them. Um, you know, these firms that they're buying get to keep their culture. They take equity. They get to enjoy the upside and kind of stay an autonomous piece of the Zynga sort of infrastructure, you know, kind of plugging in when they need things like sort of Zynga's UA expertise, but it's not like Frank is going in there with an army and changing the colors to red and, you know, saying you're no longer Graham Games or Zynga. Um, so I think that's actually important. And it, it's interesting to note, you know, from what I understand, they were not the highest bidder for Peak, but the Peak founder chose to go with them because he wanted to have Zynga equity and he wanted to be part of that, you know, Zynga sort of family. So I, I do think those are those are important things to note. Right. Now, one of the things that people talk about in terms of in terms of speculating why the acquisitions are more successful is that in addition to the management team, as, as you mentioned, Michael, is that there seems to have been a shift from like if you think high level in terms of the, the model, in terms of publishing from a centralized model to more of a decentralized model where now, you know, whether they, you know, the acquisition of small giant, most of the functions are pretty separate. It's almost like the supercell model of different cells. Do you guys have any thoughts in terms of whether, uh, how much the the model in terms of central versus decentralization has also impacted the success of some of these acquisitions? Well, I mean, the success of those acquisitions are, are exactly that, but they bought mature businesses, right? They bought businesses which already had all of those functions, already had an ability to do those things at a very high level, right? These these games were already in the top grossing charts, um, you know, ran by very good management teams. Um, the guys at Graham are great, Small Giant are great, and Peak is, is, is great as well. So it, it's kind of like when you're making these acquisitions, I think the point was made before that these this is a people business by Jeff. And the reality is, why are you going to try and break anything that these guys are, are, are have built? Right. You, you want, if anything, you want to try and support them as best as possible and, and bringing in your playbook to try and affect their culture. It, it's not always the best way. It's, it's how we tend to do things as well when we, when we acquire studios. But I think it really depends on the maturity of the business that you've acquired. Some companies that we will acquire, for instance, may not even have a marketing team, may not even had, have any idea about how to do, um, business intelligence and have any data uh, scientists in, in the space. So in that situation, they're looking to you um, to guide them to either build that internally or to provide that service. Where I think Zynga has um, had great luck and success and, and maybe even by design um, is to acquire those businesses which have already proven that they can do all of those functions. Um, and so the idea of a centralized model versus a decentralized model I think if any major acquirer right now would always prefer a decentralized model uh, because it just means that you can let these companies get on with it and, and give them growth targets. 
but a centralized model can also work um, depending on, again, where in the life cycle that studio is and what they might need. Uh, so I think it's, and the other thing is that maybe maybe it's a part maybe it's maybe it's a function of Zynga buying things in Europe, right? So you you almost have to have a decentralized uh, uh, you know kind of uh, operating model because you, you, you're you're an ocean apart. Uh, it could be something around that, but also you know I think Michael called it out. You know Bernard is uh, you know just one of the uh, top people in our industry who's a great guy that everybody likes. Frank has obviously come from from. With, with great reputation from EA, and I've known Chris Petrovich since the Kabam days. So it's 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 very much a people's person. They've got it right with the right people, and I think they've got it right in terms of the, the target um, strategy that they deployed. So I, I think I I, th I think you're you can't ultimately say whether a centralized model or a decentralized model works best. But what I can say is Tencent works on a decentralized model as well, and and they've had a lot of success. So maybe there's something yeah. to it. Right, so maybe it is that is probably the best way to go go forward. I mean, I don't know what you guys think. I mean, in general, I'll definitely see much more of a decentralized model, and um, that sometimes also has to do a little bit to do with the structure. A lot of the gaming deals have cash at close plus an earn out to be earned over two years, sometimes sometimes more, and you know, My, in order not. Mike, I'm just going to stop you. What do you think, before you go to this point, what do you think about that structure? That's like the standard structure across our industry. But do you think that's the way that we should be going forward? Right, because peak, the peak deal does not, did not include that. <laughs> this is interesting. Well, peak, I, I guess, peak had two mature games. I'm not sure how much they had in the pipeline. And Zynga, from my perspective, has been one of those buyers who often made uh, all upfront offers either mix of cash and stock versus a lot of other buyers uh, term sheets we get have a significant earnout and i mean i think the earnout structure is good because it kind of bridges the gaps is you get valued on what you have currently and then you know the gaming entrepreneurs they always think the next game is going to be amazing and it's going to be a massive hit and you as a buyer look at it as like love it to happen and if it does happen i'm very happy to pay you a lot of money but it might be you know a medium successful game or not that successful and if that's the case you shouldn't be rewarded so with a very content and title driven business i think it's a model that does make sense do you, do you think that there will the zinga deals in the future just given the huge payout to small giant and that we're not seeing it in the latest deal with peak that they will they will. Uh, do you think that is what caused them to not want to structure earnouts into uh, the existing deals and potentially future deals? I think the small giant deal was also they didn't buy 100% of the equity. So it was, okay. I don't remember the number of 70 or 80% deal only. And it's, you know, somewhat similar to, to an earnout where the existing team, you know, is fully motivated and stays an equity holder versus a full buyout. Um, but generally, I don't see the model changing much. I think you know, continue to see a, a earnout model from from all the large buyers. Right. And maybe a follow up question, just in terms of the point that uh, that uh, Jeff you're making about people wanting to get acquired by Zynga and Saad, your point about like the decentralized model. But if you're if you are a highly profitable game studio and you're going to be decentralized anyway. What is the motivation to be, to, why would you want to be acquired by Zynga? What is the motivation for some of these companies to become part of this larger organization rather than, again, if you're highly profitable, just to continue to, you know, print money and be in charge of your own sort of ship? Um, having gone through that, I can, I can ex explain. I mean, um, uh, Firstly, there's other buyers available. There's not just Zynga. Uh, I should sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. in the market. Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, come to Miniclip, would love you. Uh, <laughs> the, the I think the I think the point there is around where we talk about decentralization. We're still talking about a semblance of best practice being shared, and like we talked about, economies of scale being uh, recognized, and 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 uh, you know you can actually make 
use of them. And, and one of the big ways of doing that, for instance, is marketing, right? Um, having more marketing buying power, having uh, maybe a bigger war chest at your, uh, you know, your disposal. All of those things tend to come with a bigger organization. So you could be a profitable studio and you could be doing very, very well. Um, but if you really want to make that next step up and that next leap up, you probably do need to be with a bigger player because you just won't have the kind of cash flows or liquidity of, 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 of um, you know, reserves to be able to really compete in the more mature categories, right? If you're in your own category where you've kind of got your own blue ocean and there's no one competing with you, then you crack on. But if you're in, say, the match three uh, genre, you know, you, it's been talked about at length, if you really want to catch the, the major players there, the playrixes, the kings, um, yeah, the peaks for that matter, you, you need to have really deep pockets if you want to get to that level, right? Otherwise, you'll have a good business, but you, you, you'll, you'll kind of stay there. It's, it's very difficult to compete. I mean, we saw it with Aplovin and Matchington. They, they did a good job. They really blitzed their, their, their network, but ultimately weren't able to really keep that game as, as high up as possible because you've got to keep investing in those titles. You've got to keep, you know, you're going to have very, very deep pockets to be able to do that. And um, I think some studios and some um, founders and entrepreneurs and some management teams have the ambition to, to take their game to the top and reach the widest audience. And if you really want to do that, you do, you do need a partner now. I, I really believe that. And one of the key, that's again, I, I can mention the Miniclip Tencent relationship. The other thing that really helped, even though Tencent, you know, doesn't operate our business on a day-to-day -day basis, they just unlock a different level of ambition for us. That's what happened with, with, with our deal. It was, a mentality shift for us to look at the market in a different way to really go and attack and get to the top and become become category leaders in multiple categories that we wouldn't have been probably doing ourselves if we were still the privately owned bootstrap business that was very profitable but you know we just we, we just had a good business but to get to that next level to really get it to to to, to be you know one of the top companies in in the world you kind of needed Tencent to unlock that for us. And, and I feel like that's the way for a lot of these guys. Like if you've operated your business for the last two or three years and then you've had decent growth and we all know the situation, it's much harder to grow now. Jeff touched upon it with the CPI situation. You start looking at how, how, how I'm going to accelerate that. And, and typically a bigger partner helping you get there is the way to do it. You want a big brother to help you up. That's, that's how I see it. I mean, that's certainly the case. Other, other, what you said, you mentioned before. I mean, the companies that are getting to scale, there's some of them are bootstrapped, but a lot of them have some outside capital. At some point, you know, they do want to get to a liquidity. Uh, that's one. And the second, you know, it's a hit driven business and it is volatile. And the companies that might be doing great today, the next two titles might be not as good. And it's kind of, to some extent, it's de-risking too. Yeah, so there might be founders of very profitable game studios that look at, for example, an MZ type of situation, and then they're like, okay, well, maybe I should just uh, lock in my gains or something like that. Right. Yeah, take the chips off the table, right? That's what yeah. they're trying to do. Yeah. Okay, so maybe shifting now towards buyers in the market. Now, obviously, Zynga, Stillfront just raised money. There's Scopely, Jam City. You know, Tilting Point, Playrix, Activision, EA, there's a bunch of guys. And increasingly, I'm hearing a lot of rumors about you guys, about Miniclips. So the word on the street is Miniclips going to increase its ambitions for M&A pretty significantly. But um, so maybe you could talk about that. And then who do you guys view as kind of the most active buyers moving forward right now? Um, yeah, well, thank you, Joseph. Uh, we, we, yeah, we are very, very active. We are very keen to do many deals. Um, it's, it's certain, uh, a big ambition for us. We have a new CEO in Jurgen, uh, our founder, Rob Small has become our president and we've, our new CEO is, is the ex president of Tencent Europe. So I think, you know, we know what Tencent's like. They, They've inbuilt that ambition into us as well, and 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 we very much want to take those that on board. And yeah, if if there is a deal going, you you 
mini clip will usually be in the mix. Thank you, Michael, for all of the uh, the time that you send our way. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll we'll be there. We see we're seeing most stuff, and if, if we if if you are watching this and you you haven't sent your stuff over to us, please do. We we are looking. Why why is because we've talked about all those things um, before, but I think for us, what we're keen on doing is. We've actually got a really solid business in, in, in our kind of sports franchises around April Pool and Motorsport Manager and Darts Fury and Soccer Stars and Football Strike and Golf Battle. Um, and what we want to do is we want to become the world's most popular games company. And the way you do that is by having as many categories as possible, right? And we can't build every type of game. Uh, we can't enter every category. So... What we're going to do is we're going to try and work with the best and brightest teams um, at different phases of their um, uh, kind of life cycle, and we will then try and and and, and get there and, and and get to the top. So you know we acquired Ilion, um, you know, with their Bubble Shooter franchise. They right. it's one of those games which people didn't really recognize and see that that was a good opportunity there, but it's it's the number one Bubble Shooter in the world. We yeah, just massive organics. <laughs> Yeah, Matt, and, and that's what we like. We like to also, so we value DAU, for instance. DAU is a big thing that we look at that many other companies may dismiss or not put as much value on top of. So um, organics are super important. Um, and then another company we, we recently acquired was 8Pixel Square, and we, we bought that studio from Outplay, who's a, another great company. Um, but we bought them because we really wanted to go into the shooter market because we see a good overlap with the kind of audience that we've got currently. Um, and we will be building games with them and, and trying to create something with people who have been making shooter games for the last 10, 15 years. Um, so for us, it's about working with great teams. And where we're lucky at Miniclip is we have the strategy of working across the whole spectrum. So we can, we, because of the backing of Tencent, we can go right to the top of the market with the more mature businesses that have, you know, created fantastic value already and, and are still growing to right at the bottom where it's, it's probably still a studio of like three to four people who are making games and had some success, but need to, you know, push on with, with services that we can provide. So I think we're a unique acquirer in the market where we look at, you know, both ends of the spectrum. We're not just looking at the top. We're looking across the whole, the whole breadth of it. Okay, um, you have a small studio. Maybe you want to sell. <laughs> <laughs> Is that was that the whole point of this uh, this call? I believe. I don't know if I could say this. You can cut it out. But I believe uh, some of my team members are talking with you uh, about <laughs> we're, that. We're, we're speaking. It was definitely come across my table. <laughs> let's put it that way. <laughs> And Saad, it, I, this is kind of speculation on my part, my part, but given Jurgen's background, and uh, you know, by the way, he's an awesome guy. I, I met him when I was at Sega. Is yep. it fair to say that you guys will probably not only be acquiring like mobile free to play, but a little more broadly, just given Jurgen's background? Uh, right now, we will concentrate on mobile. Okay. Um, we have made some investments in um, in PC developers. Um, I'm not sure if we disclose them, but we have made some. Uh, we will, we will, we're a games company um, at the end of the day, right? Uh, yeah. And so wherever the, the audiences might be, we will go after them. Right now, it just makes sense to be uh, in the mobile ecosystem. It's the biggest ecosystem. There's still a lot of growth, we feel. There's still a lot of opportunity. Um, so we, we we will stay there for now. If if we were going to enter somewhere else, it probably would be PC. But we're 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 a few years away from attacking that in a um, a, a real deep manner. Um, but again, that's that's Tencent's focus right now. They're, they're doing a lot of deals in that space. But we will concentrate primarily on on, on mobile at this moment in time. Got it. And Michael, you seems like you represent a lot of companies, and you're probably talking to a lot of the big acquirers out there, like. Can you give us a sense of who you think is going to be most active kind of in the near term to medium term? Sure. I mean, you already mentioned uh, several names and they were all great. Um, some of them you haven't mentioned is, is, is Glue is now looking to do acquisitions again. I mean, they right. got crowd stuff or, or next to nothing. Right. Is, is there a rumor about them acquiring Hutch? Is that correct? <laughs> I, I don't know. Um <laughs> That might be one they're looking at, uh, but I think they're going to get much more active. Um, probably sometime next year, depends how how it goes. The platform companies like 
Google Stadia, I was looking at several years with the launch of Stadia being, I would say, medium at best. Um, it was scaled back, but I think if, you know, they gained more traction having some original content on it. I think that's one of the strategies. Um, some of the smaller ones that did some financings and, and are pretty just looking at the, the um, uh, Americas. I mean, probably going to see some deals out of wildlife. Um, and, and Moon Active just did a, a 10% secondary where Inside came in, but they're also actively looking at deals. Um, on the PC side, Embracer, as I mentioned before, has been super active and expected them to be very active too. Uh, Playtica is kind of gearing up for their IPO and, you know, they bought Wooga seriously and they're really looking to diversify out of the kind of a social casino space, having some other kind of broadly company uh, in, in mobile and I expect them to do some additional acquisitions before the IPO. Uh, Vivendi Gameloft is another one. I mean, we sold a company to them a little bit more than a year ago. Uh, probably one of the very few media companies they're looking to add. Uh, gaming. I mean, all the other media companies in the U.S. at least are really divesting, like what we talked about with AT&T and Warner Brothers. Um, I mean, you mentioned Playrix. I think they've been very active in the Russian market and, and started to dabble into Eastern Europe. Probably going to expect much more deals from them. Um, I think what's going to be interesting is also Biden's. Um, Biden's right. ambition is to be Potentially as large as ten cents in very few years. That's at least what they say. Their efficiency is, and and they need to get there through acquisitions. And also considering the situation with TikTok here in the U.S., if it's going to be banned or not, I expect them to be, you know, do a good amount of deals, probably more in Europe than in the U.S. due to the political um, reasons. Um, Sony is looking at additional studios. I mean, there's obviously console cycle happening right now. Um, out of the, the other Asian ones, I mean, Netmodel, Comptoise, and Seasoft expect several deals to be happening. Um, another separate category is kind of the advertising co- companies. Um, like Applovin obviously has been super active with a lot of acquisitions. Um, but also Iron Source kind of following Applovin's path. And they're also looking at several kind of high cash flow studios. And finally, um, uh, adjacent categories of private equity firms saw very little interest in gain from private equity firms a little bit more than two years ago. Right. But now saw, um, and some deals without, were in the market with highly profitable companies saw a lot of interest and, and, and Blackstone acquired Murka and acquired Rungle, which somewhat is similar to Evlon and an iron source. So, Expect more deals from them, but also expect much more deals from other private equity firms who want to enter the space. Okay. And then, Jeff, in terms of the public companies, you know, we, we've certainly seen activity by some of the, the bigger names. E- EA hasn't done much. Do you have any thoughts in terms of EA? And also, like, how many bullets does Zynga and some of these other companies have left? What, what kind of, what scale of acquisitions are possible yeah. for those guys? Well, with Zynga, you know, as long as these deals keep working, I think they can they can raise the capital. The question for Zynga is what can they buy? Because they kind of just bought the big elephant in the room. So it's going to be interesting to see whether they kind of switch back to buying some smaller sort of more bolt-on acquisitions or what they kind of choose to do as they're digesting um, peak. In terms of EA, it doesn't seem like there's that much buy-in from their executive team to get bigger in mobile. They sort of view mobile as a red ocean to some extent. They always talk about how, you know, it's a tough space and they're one of the few players that, that are profitable there. I think they have talk about having 40% margins. Um, it is an area of disappointment from for investors, just the fact that they're, you know, the last two years, I think they've been negative growth when the market's growing double digits. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but I think, you know, buying Warner Brothers would actually be interesting for EA from, from that perspective. Right. So maybe we should like actually talk about some of the targets. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of names potentially left out there still, although diminishing, you know, some of the names include, you know, even some bigger companies like Voodoo, Quali on the hyper casual side. There's also Tactile, Hutch, Moon Active. Maybe even a bigger player could acquire Wildlife, Huge, Mag Interactive, Legendary, Nord Current. So out of all of these names and 
And Saad, from your perspective, since you're actively in the market to buy, <laughs> maybe you can tip us off in terms of who you view as the most attractive and why. Um, <laughs> all of those guys are are wonderful people, are wonderful companies. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to call most of the, the management team friends of mine and, and, and all of the people that you've mentioned. Um, uh, I, I think for us, there is that group of people. Um, there's also a lot of other companies which are, are very exciting. Um, I think in terms of tip-off, I don't know how much I can say given how many confidentiality agreements I've signed. Uh, so I've got to be very, very careful. But I, I, I would say this. Um, I think every every company is in play. Um, and I think it's in play because of Google, Microsoft, Sony, Facebook, and maybe not so much Facebook, but um, uh, and, and Tencent, Netties, and ByteDance, right? So the idea that wildlife and, you know, if, if the brothers want to do something, then I'm sure there could be a deal done there. I even believe PlayRix could happen. Um, another, again, two brothers. Uh, what we've learned in mobile is if you want to have success, uh, create a business with your brother, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> those guys prove that. Um, and and I, I, th I think so. I think there's definitely lots of potential for, for somebody to, to pick up a company like that. Um, in terms of the hyper casuals, I think it's going to get tough. You've got some really good companies there already. Voodoo Quali, Rolic, uh, Good Job, Say Games. These are great companies. I think what I find interesting about their strategy is all of them, if you talk to them, they publicly said they're all trying to move more into casual than hyper casual. Um, and I think that's an interesting point. So, how they make that transition, whether they do that with a strategic partner um, acquiring them or if they do that themselves will be interesting. Um, I believe if, if I was them, I, I would seek a partner to help de-risk that move. Um, the other thing that we don't talk about is we this, this is a list of companies that we'll be talking about today. But I mean, you know, Voodoo came out of a situation where people thought Ketchup would never be Court, right? Um, there's great companies being formed all the time, um, and there will be new uh, acquisition targets as well, which is why it's important to keep our eyes on the market, keep keep our eyes and to see where where there could be potential growth from other players. All of those guys um, would be dream acquisitions. The one that I'm going to just list here, and uh, I'm sure Charlie won't like it, but he gets pinged all the time, is First Touch Games. That's the deal everybody wants to do, but the deal nobody will do because Charlie doesn't want to sell. So this is my pressure tactic on him. We're in the <laughs> UK, you're in the UK, let's do this. Um, but I think it's well known that um, that's, a, that's a, a good acquisition target for people as well, but often don't get talked about in, in the same way. Right. Um, so I think, I think there's plenty of targets left in the market. Um, it's just a case of, how does it fit in with your product strategy? How does it fit in with where you want to go as a business? Because one thing that you probably don't want to do is have a kind of buy everyone and just eat it up. I mean, it, it needs to fit and it needs to make sense in your product strategy because otherwise it's going to start to look like you're just you're acquiring assets for the sake of it. Um, so often we'll get sent deals which doesn't really fit with where we're going and even though they're great companies by great founders and, and, and great teams, if it doesn't really fit our product strategy or the way where we want to go, we, we tend to pass on those deals. And I think that's, you could say that from almost all the buyers that we've talked about. So in terms of which targets are left, it's also which targets make sense. So for instance, Hutch, good friends of mine, um, this is my pitch as to why they probably shouldn't sell to, why I shouldn't say this. <laughs> But Glue, Glue had racing rival, so they've entered into that space before, so it makes sense. But would, would Hutch make sense for Zynga with the CSR franchise? Does, do, do you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it might be that you know Hutch looks really great to a company like Zynga, but then when you actually think about it from their own product portfolio and the teams that they have in place, does it make sense always? And I think that's where the targets aren't always just, oh, naturally it should go there or it should go here. It's, it, it, there's lots of things that come into play above and beyond 
price, expectations, and, 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 you know, relationships. It also comes into how they fit into the overall group that does acquire them. Michael, do you have any predictions on who the next company or companies that are going to be taken out are going to be? No real predictions, but just some other companies that are interested in the space. I mean, you yeah. just mentioned the hypercashual space and, and ketchup. And one company that I think is really strong and up and coming is from one of the ketchup founders, the Scheme Jam in the hypercashual space. Uh, they're Christian. doing really well. Yeah. Christian, yeah. I think they're doing like a really small team, but profitable and very just growing phenomenally. Then, um, you know, Voodoo has been in the news a lot. I mean, I think they explored kind of a minority deal or, or, or a full deal. And, you know, they've been in the news now for a while. I'm not sure if a deal is still happening. Um, other companies that are kind of larger at scale, which I think are interesting is, is, is Gizmart is one. They're known for the casual games and the, and the music entertainment games. They won it like, you know, where you like north of a hundred million and, and, and highly, highly profitable or, or Kama games is another one. They're known for the pokerist games. I think they're also around a hundred million and highly, highly profitable. Kind of that's, you know, once you get into triple digit revenue numbers and incredible EBITDA margin, that's just a great target. And, and then I guess, you know, a lot of buyers that have before would want to buy them and just need to get to the right point to potentially make a deal. Um, also not. Super interesting is like, like Ethermax. They've been around for a while. Trivia cracked and super successful and they kind of, uh, you know, are in the key growth mode again. That's, that's one of a situation where, you know, the founder made so much money. It's kind of need to really, why does he want to do a deal? It needs to be the right partner and, uh, where they feel really take the company forward and also where it's like meaningful for the whole team, like working at another really cool company. Um, and who knows what's happening with Roblox? I mean, Roblox, I just checked yesterday, they were the top grossing game on, on iOS in the US. And, you know, that's obviously a, a high, super high value deal, but it's obviously also very, very attractive. And, you know, they're probably going to think about going public at some point or, or there's going to be an MNA deal. Um, right. those are just some additional names. And, and Jeff, in terms of the public names, Certainly, I think that while we've mentioned a lot of names before for the public companies to show additional revenue growth, there's a certain amount of scale that they're going to have to, uh, you know, have to achieve. So in terms of like the companies as targets that have that scale for some of the bigger, you know, the bigger public companies, who are some of the more attractive targets to them, in, in your opinion? What do you mean by that? Just how big they would need to be to right, right. be interesting for the market? But I guess it depends, you know, if you're talking about glue, like they're probably going to look to buy something with, I don't know, 50 to 100 million in revenue. And that will be somewhat meaningful to them. You know, if you're Zynga, you, you need to do something bigger. Right. If you're EA or Activision, you need to do something even bigger. I, I don't <laughs> think that's, you know, a hot take. But um, the one name that I think is interesting on this list that we haven't talked about too much is, is Moon Active. You know, social casino, it's uh, obviously very hot right now. I just look at side plays, sort of stock price. But on the flip side, you had Double Down, uh, which was supposed to IPO, but actually had to pull back because they couldn't get enough demand for their IPO. So I think you had an interesting little dynamic there um, in that social casino is really hot right now. But I think there's a lot of worries from investors in the market just around potential um, more widespread iGaming legislation here in the US and what that could mean for that market. Um, and it, we mentioned before that I think Moon Active just, um, you know, raised money at a 1.2 or 1.3 billion valuation, which is pretty impressive. Um, I, I think they're sort of a single product studio at this point. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see if they want to be acquirers, if they want to IPO or, you know, that could be maybe the next target for, for Zynga or something like that. But I think they're, you know, one of the more interesting ones on this list. Okay. The, the Moon Active financing, my understanding was, was a pure secondary. So the founders took some cash off the table. Okay. okay. And then maybe we can now just talk about Warner Brothers, right? So there's a lot of rumors in the industry, EA versus Activision, and now Microsoft. And, you know, kind of at the beginning of the call, we, you know, before we started the call, we talked about how there's some rumors about actually there being multiple buyers and Warner Brothers getting split up in terms of HD versus mobile or something like that. Do you guys have any thoughts about who the most 
where, where, you know, what, what's your speculation in terms of where WB winds up and then, you know, what makes the most sense? Uh, I will talk only about the console side because the mobile side's too close to home. Uh, that's another podcast for another time. <laughs> um, the, the, I, I, I think, I mean, firstly, there are great assets in there. I think people don't realize how many good assets there are in this thing. When you say Warner Brothers, people think, oh, is that? But Warner Brothers Interactive is a fantastic company with some really great studios in there. And I think anybody like EA, Activision, and, and Microsoft, I think, is a rumor as well, makes a lot of sense. Um, for me, it, it, if I was Microsoft, I would do everything I could to get this uh, asset under my um, into my stable. Um, I don't know if it fits for EA. Um, I'm not sure it makes that much sense given what they've done. They've already got great IP licenses. They tend to go for the really AAA licenses um, from what I can see. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, I think Microsoft would be a phenomenal home for WB. It just makes sense to me when I think about it from, from the HD console side of things. Um, again, on the mobile side, I will not speculate. Okay. Any thoughts from you, Jeff or Michael? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say for, for Microsoft, I mean, they have all the money in the world, but it is hard, you know, just if you're doing it on a traditional like accretion analysis, if you're going to take these assets and basically say, well, now you can only sell to maybe 50% of consoles, it, it, it just becomes a lot harder to make the math work. You know, you do eliminate the platform feed, so that helps a bit, but it, you know, it's very hard to imagine they could bid the same amount of money just from an economic perspective. Obviously, they have the money, but to make the math work um, for that kind of deal, I actually think EA um, is is the most likely or makes the most sense for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, first they they do a pretty good job and are at least comfortable working with IP. You know, with Star Wars and some other stuff. They actually have a prior relationship with Warner Brothers in the sense that Warner Warner Brothers is one of the few um, third parties that's in there. Uh, origin access subscription, and then also the the mobile challenges that they've had um, that we talked about before. I think that's a pretty good you know immediate shot in the arm for them. Um, the other name I would throw, I mean, there's a million names we could throw out there, but is Activision. Um, you know, they could sneak in. Um, everyone I think knows this, but Bobby Kodak has kind of a, a few hundred million reasons why he would make want to make that happen. Um, you know, he's got a transformative transaction clause in his contract where if they do a deal that's, I think it's over 20% creative, he gets like some gigantic sum of money. So, you know, that could always make sense. And obviously they have <laughs> King, so they're, you know, clearly big and mobile as well. Um, the only problem with them is they typically have tried to, they want to own their their IP. Um, and, and Warner Brothers obviously doesn't offer that. But um, I'll pass it over to Michael. I'm sure he has a lot of thoughts on this. All right, so is that definitive? Like the DC stuff won't come with the deal? Is that well? I assume it would. You just have to. And I don't obviously know this at all, but I think you they would just have to structure a deal where they would pay, you know, a license fee similar to how EA does with Star Wars. Like I don't. They're obviously not selling the IP, but you know, there's no reason why they couldn't keep making games with the IP. Yeah, it'd just be an ongoing license fee. It wouldn't be a. Uh, yeah, I mean. That would be a steal if you got the DC catalog as well. But no, yeah, just an ongoing license, um, which makes a lot of sense. That wouldn't be a problem, I think. Okay, great. Yeah, so, I, I don't really have much to add. I mean, Microsoft definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, Activision really, you know, has not been acquisitive in the past. I mean, they bought King. I mean, um, you know, doing one deal every five or ten years is not a very acquisitive, but. Having said that, um, I, I believe their strategy changed a little bit and they do want to be much more active on the M&A side and, and also looking at the proximity. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they, they make an offer. I'm not sure if they get there on the valuation side. It's in the his path, it's been more kind of valuation sensitive. Um, but, but we'll see. But we're definitely going to see more deals from, from Activision the way I see it. Let's be fair to Activision. Whenever they do do a deal, it's some deal, right? They're usually very blockbuster deals, right? When they do them. Yeah, sure. I wasn't Always. aware of that management incentive. And so I, I think that can't be 
underemphasized, right? That those those type of things generally make a huge difference. So, well, yeah. I, I think Activision should buy Roblox, and that's one that came up earlier. I think that would be like a home. Ah, run. yeah. I mean, anyone should buy Roblox because it's a great asset. But yeah. I think and Bobby can get his. That could be the one that Bobby has to buy. That would be pretty pretty transformative, I think. Right. Okay, so then moving on to the last question in terms of predictions, in terms of M&A, short-term, longer-term, I may be wrong. I mean, we talked about a bunch of names in terms of acquisition targets out there, but kind of the sense I get as well is that it seems like we're going to start to slow down. But having said that, we did talk about a lot of names. What do you guys think in terms of just general trends? And then do we see a slowdown based upon the number of, let's say, attractive or targets that make sense or have a fit? in the short term to medium term? Uh, well, I, I think there's, well, it depends on your definition of medium scale, right? Okay. <laughs> that's, that's the key. So give thing. us your definition, son. Well, I, I, think, I, think, I think where I was talking about is about maturity of a company as opposed to how much they might generate in terms of revenue. Like um, the company ha- is a fully formed entity where you, you can, run it as a decentralized business compared to somebody who's not. Um, I feel like the kind of, you know, single um, entity where you could acquire that and just kind of, you know, leave them alone. um, Those companies, there are fewer and fewer of those for sure. Right. Um, But in terms of the ones in which you could help grow and they require more effort. I think there's, there's, there's plenty of those um, out there in the market. It just depends on how much, um, effort one wants to deploy on on helping those companies grow, uh, but if if the companies aren't there in terms of acquisitions, you then have to then, then your strategy has to be okay. We need to organically grow and build our own games, which people will always do anyway. And then you you know there's no monopoly on on great ideas, so you may see some great stuff, but you know that if you could insert yourselves in there to help that company grow. And it, then it just adds more benefit. I mean, indeed, one of the, the, the deals that we're more famous for is Agario. We saw exactly that. We saw an opportunity where single developer needed the support of a bigger company to help it really get to the next phase. I mean, I, I don't think there's a, a, a company in the world who wouldn't take that deal, right? It, it's, 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 it's a great deal. So it just means that, yeah, there's fewer companies who could be in a decentralized system and they just leave them and get on with it and they could grow well. But I think there's plenty of opportunity in terms of the companies who um, are still growing and, and could become, you know, huge, huge companies um, with the right support. That I think is, you know, I think there's, dare I say it, thousands. There's many companies that people haven't even heard of or talk about. Um, right. it, it's, it's shocking to me sometimes how people forget about some really big companies. And that's why I think the mobile gaming space is still so interesting. It could be a company in, um, in, in, in South America or in Southeast Asia, which many people haven't heard of, or even indeed in China, right? There's, there's a lot of Chinese developers who are doing really well in Western markets. Yeah. No one talks about or never ever really brings up and, they're actually some of the biggest companies in the world. Yeah, uh, Lilith is a good example. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, right, yeah, and and you just and you just think to yourself, why is anybody talking about Lilith? Um, you know, and and why isn't anybody talking about some of the companies there? Um, so there's, I think there's a lot of opportunity. It's just some some things are just better understood and talked about in the press and and, and on panels. And others, um, right. but but in, in terms of that, though, whether it's China or I, I know, like some of the bigger public companies avoid acquiring companies in like Russia or, or whatever. So isn't that just a natural barrier against acquiring some of those companies in those regions? You have to, if you really want to, if you, yeah, sure. But if you, you have to go through some complexity now, if you really want to access those assets, uh, so it, you kind of have to take that approach. I mean, you can't look at it as being, you know. If you're sensitive to geographies, then yeah, there's hardly anything left, right? There's, there's, you can literally put it on on, on, a, on a you know a very short piece of paper. But if if you're not restricted by that, then I, then there's plenty. There's absolutely loads of opportunity. Uh, so just if I'm understanding you correctly, all the low hanging fruit is gone in terms of the Lego block, plug and play, and decentralized and ready to go. But 
if you're if you're willing to broaden your geographical scope and if you're willing to sort of roll up your sleeves and help some of these studios that are on the cusp of hitting scale get to scale, then there are lots of opportunities. Agreed. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Got it. I mean, from my perspective, there's still a, a, a large number of companies that are currently kind of large. I mean, not, you know, not massive, but if you look at the 100 million plus revenue that are currently out there, I mean, you talk about Moon Active, Wildfly, Tactile, and and what's interesting in this space is so dynamic. It's like companies, if, if, if they have one successful title, they can grow into a hundred million dollar plus company within a very short period of time. And just looking back when Epic uh, launched Fortnite, like being nobody really outside of a, 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 a tool space and, you know, producing one of the most successful games in history. So I think we're going to see a lot of new companies emerging and, and getting to scale. And on the several, on, on the general M&A trend, what, um, what I'm also hearing from a lot of the publicly traded company is, you know, a lot of them done really well, really well the last several months with everybody staying at home. Uh, a lot of them are trading at all time high or 52 week high. Um, all of them see that that's not going to continue like this forever. And on the second half of the year, some of the engagements and revenue might tamper off a little bit. And a lot of them are looking to, you know, as a public company, you want to continue to show strong top line AV that are growth. And that's why we're going to, I expect a lot of deals happening kind of towards, you know, Q4, because uh, a lot of the public companies do want to add meaningful acquisitions to, to their financials. So there's going to be um, even, you know, probably more aggressiveness on the buyer side as well. Right. I, I think for what you're talking about, I think glue is probably the <laughs> poster child for that sort of situation. But um, anyway, uh, Jeff, any, any thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think Michael made a lot of good points about companies kind of needing to having tough comps and maybe needing to to make acquisitions to grow. So I think that's valid. Um, I, I agree with, with, with both of you guys. I think there's going to be a lot of activity. You know, if you just think like investors in the broader market are really starting to focus on games, um, you know, this trend of entertainment becoming more interactive, more social games becoming platforms. Like I think you're seeing a lot of mainstream investors taking note of those trends, you know, Epic being the poster child and, you know, this metaverse concept, it's kind of a big buzzword right now. A lot of investors are chasing that. And I think these are trends that investors want to play. So I think you're going to continue to see a lot of capital markets activity. You know, we, we've touched on some of these already, but we've got Playtica probably IPOing soon, Unity IPOing, which is going to be massive, um, maybe at Lovin. Um, so that's just going to get broader, you know, technology and, and kind of public market investors interested, puts more capital into the space, which, you know, should kind of spin the flywheel and, and, and get these public companies doing more acquisitions and, and also more startups because, you know, as public valuations go up, VCs see that good people, good employees at some of these bigger companies say, well, I could start my own company, make a ton of money. They start companies, the whole ecosystem grows. So I think, you know, we're in the early innings of kind of this, this trend. Um, and, you know, it's an exciting space to, for all of us to be part of. All right. Great. So on that positive note, I think we can end it here, but is there a final message that any of you have for the audience? Or Saad, if if, there, if there's any company that's looking to be acquired by Miniclip, how can they reach out to you? Just it's it's first name dot last name at miniclip.com. So Saad.chowdhury at miniclip.com. So yeah, just, just yeah, feel free to ping me. Um, <laughs> or if anybody just wants to have a, a chat about this, it's it's a it's a topic that um is super interesting for us. Well, for me anyway. So thanks for setting up the time and uh, having this conversation. It's been yeah. great. Thanks. And if anybody is interested, Jeff has a video games newsletter, so make sure you sign up for that. And if you want to sell your company, talk to Michael. <laughs> yeah, He's a great guy to, uh, to, to know. Um, if you want to be added to my distribution list, uh, my my institutional research here at Stevens, you can find me just, you know, Jeff Cowan on, on LinkedIn. Great. Yeah, my, my email is michael.metzger.drake.com. Uh, also, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I try to, uh, you know, post all the all the deals that are happening as real time as possible. So, 
um, and and also happy to chat with any entrepreneur that's you know wondering what to do. I, I know we're ending there, but I don't know if this is this is the question that I wanted to ask you guys. If there was one company that you guys could acquire or break, you know, buy, which company would it be? Lilith. Lilith. Yeah. Lilith. Has to be mini clip. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's all about price, right? But I, I think like Roblox and Epic are, are two. Oh, yeah. No, actually, yeah. If, at the if, forefront of all these trends that I think are, you know, right. young audience, social, metaverse, bubble, all that good stuff. Yeah, no, if, if Roblox is out there, I would say, yeah, for sure, Roblox. <laughs> the thing is, I think there's always be a top trumps, right? There always be a top trumps to, to, to do it. Okay, cool. That's all great. Right. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time, everyone. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks. Awesome. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>